mysteries of the Bible. Where is Noah's Ark? Who ended up with the Ark of the Covenant? Where is it now? Who was that fourth dude in the fiery furnace? What happened to Jonah after he left Nineveh and had that conversation with God? Where did Jesus go to high school? The last one wasn't very serious. But you get the idea. Some things we just don't know. Not all the details are provided. Mysteries of the Bible. It sounds like a television show, doesn't it? Who would watch that show, Mysteries of the Bible? A good 10% of you. That's encouraging, yes. Who would watch this show, Mysteries of the Bible, with your host, Sean Barry? Oh, yeah! Democracy in action. There it is. Yeah. Consensus wins. Um, one of the great mysteries of the Bible actually comes up in our second reading for today. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Paul writes this letter to the Christian community in Corinth. And in our reading for today, in this letter, he articulates the fact that he has a problem. He is dealing with a major difficulty. He is dealing with some sort of ailment. And keep in mind, when Paul wrote this letter, that was what we now call ancient history. That is ancient history, right? A long time ago, 2,000 years ago. Needless to say, medical technology is not, was not as sophisticated as it is now. You know, Paul didn't get an MRI. He didn't get an x-ray. He didn't, you know, have a diagnosis per se. I mean, they had medicine, they had doctors, they had that kind of... Actually, one of Paul's traveling companions was a doctor, a guy named Luke, right? You've heard that name Luke before. He wrote one of the books of the Bible, the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. So medicine and doctors were not foreign to them. They're just a little bit more, for lack of a better term, primitive. And so Paul has this ailment, and he describes this ailment in terms that we might think are a little bit more primitive but certainly a lot more spiritual, right? This is what he says. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being too elated. A thorn in the flesh. That's what he describes a messenger from Satan to torment him. That's how he characterizes it. But if you're like me and you hear this, you can't help but ask the question, so what was it? What was actually wrong? And for centuries, people have speculated. What was Paul trying to describe here? And the theories kind of run the gamut. Oh, I think maybe he had epilepsy, some say. Some form of that. Oh, I think maybe he had a heart condition. I think maybe he had a bad back. I think maybe he had migraine headaches. I think maybe he had a trick knee or something. Some sort of terrible physical pain. Some people suggest that. Others suggest it wasn't physical at all. Some suggest it was psychological. 
he was dealing with maybe depression or anxiety, or he was dealing with some sort of sort of addiction or depravity or something. That seems less compelling to me because that sounds like a thorn, not in the flesh, but a thorn in the spirit. So I, I, I kind of shy away from that. And others suggest it wasn't physical or psychological at all. In fact, Paul, when he talks about this thorn in his flesh, he's talking about another person. Someone who was difficult, who he had to deal with, who he had to work with. Sound familiar, anybody? But at the end of the day, those are all theories. We don't know exactly what Paul meant when he described this thorn in his flesh. It is a mystery of the Bible. So let's talk about what we actually know. Let's talk about what we can prove in a court of law so to speak, if we had to. The two things we know, thing number one, clearly this bothered Paul a lot. Words like thorn in the flesh, tormenting, Satan, he didn't like it. Number two, he wanted healed. He wanted cured. He wanted this thorn in his flesh to go away. He wanted a life without this affliction. So brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, fellow Christians, when you want to be healed, when you want to be cured, when you want a life free of something, what's one of the things that we do? We pray. We pray. So that's what Paul did. He prayed. And I bet his prayer was awesome. Because Paul was an articulate dude. He was good with his words. He was a spirit-filled man. He had a unique connection with God, which he describes earlier in that same reading. He talks about receiving revelations from God himself. He was the chief of all the apostles. He was the great man, the great Christian leader of his era. Man of great faith. And that man of great faith prayed. He prayed with everything he had. He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Three times he said, I begged God to take this thorn out of my flesh, to remove this affliction from me. Three times I prayed, for a life where I don't have to deal with this. And God heard that prayer. And God answered that prayer. And the answer was no. No. I mean, no. How could the answer be no? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, think about it. Who is Paul? What's Paul's job? Paul's job is to serve God. Paul was called by God to serve him, to proclaim the good news to the world. And his life was hard. He traveled all over the known world. He was persecuted. He just wants to feel better. He just wants to be able to do his job to answer his call to the best of his ability, it seems to me. Take this away from me. God said no. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever wanted something? Have you ever needed something? 
Have you ever prayed about something with everything that you have? Only to have God say, no, it's happened to me. And I know a lot of you. And I know it's happened to a lot of you as well. And I'm not talking about little things. I'm not talking about insignificant things today. I'm not talking about I prayed for a motorcycle and I didn't get it. I prayed for the Mets to have a decent season finally. It didn't happen. Big things. Important things. Life and death kind of things. We pray for health. We pray for healing. Lord, take this affliction away. Lord, I just want to feel better. I want to live a life without pain. I want to live a life where I'm 100% healthy. Lord, I want to get this job. Lord, I want to keep this job. Lord, I want my children to be okay. I want my child to be healthy, to be well, to be safe. Lord, I want the person I love the most in the world to not have to suffer anymore. And we pray. And we pray. And we pray. And we get a no. And when the no comes, what is there to do? Well, we can't help but ask questions. Why no? Why not? We're going to pray today. A little bit later in the service, we're going to pray for all kinds of things. We're going to pray for our world. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for the sick, those who are hurting, those who are grieving, those who are struggling. We're going to pray for the church, that the church would finally get its act together and be one as Jesus and the Father are one. That's the same prayer that Jesus prayed the night before He hung on a cross. And we pray knowing that our God is God, that our God has the power to fix what's most broken about this world, what's most broken about us. And sometimes we get the yes. And sometimes we get the no. And the no stings. And the no hurts. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And I'm not going to stand up here today and try and make sense of it. For myself or for you, because I can't. I cannot pretend to be God. I cannot apologize for God. But there is more to say. When God says no... It's never as simple as that. When God answers our prayers, God never simply just says no. There's always more. There's always an addendum to that answer. Take Paul, for example. Paul prayed to God. Paul asked God for something simple. God, take away this affliction. Take away this thorn in my flesh. Three times he fervently prayed. And God answered no. But then he added, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The grace of God. The grace of God is always part of God's response to you. And maybe we didn't ask for grace. And maybe we think we don't need grace. But brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, 
make no mistake, grace is everything. Lest we forget the foundation of Christianity, the foundation of life in the kingdom of God, by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is a gift. And God gives you the greatest of all gifts. He gives you unconditional love. He gives you his undying presence. No matter what, God is going to be part of your existence. That's the promise he made to you here. By grace, you have been forgiven. By grace, you will live forever. Because by grace, God sent you his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to change your destiny, to make you a part of something bigger than you know. And I know that's hard to hear. I know that's frustrating. I know sometimes that sounds like pastor talk. But we are part of something greater than we can comprehend. And in this life, Things go bad, things go well. I was talking to somebody before the service began. They said, so much has happened this year. You know, we had a wedding, we had a funeral, we had a death, we had a new, a, a, a new life, all these great things, and I just want life to slow down. But that's the thing, life doesn't ever slow down. There's highs, there's lows. There's good, there's bad. But God is always there. And we ask God for so much. And sometimes God says no to things we want or to things we think we need. But God says yes to you. To you as a citizen in the kingdom of God. I will take you. I will love you. You will be a part of my family forever, no matter what. And the things that happen in this world, it's a small part of your story. Because your story is forever. Your destiny is with me, God says. Life in the world that is to come. No pain, no suffering, no death, no tears, no grief. Uninterrupted, perfect bliss with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We rely on that. We remember that. We turn to Christ or strength, no matter what. When we get the things we ask or when we don't, Christ gives us strength. One of the great things about my job, my life as a pastor, is I get to interact with a lot of amazing people of faith. And I'm not under overstating it, I should say, when I say I know a lot of amazing people of faith. And one of the things about people of faith is you can't put people of faith in a box. They come from all different backgrounds. They have all different experiences. If you look at their life right now, you get some of everything. Some great people of faith who I know have so much in this world. In terms of success, in terms of possessions, in terms of everything, really. But others have nothing. Because life in this world eventually reveals the fact that we all have 
nothing. We are weak in the grand scheme of things, in the mortal scheme of things. But the greatest faith I have ever seen, I have seen in the hospital. I have seen on a deathbed. I have seen in a funeral home. I have seen in the wake of a funeral here. I have seen in a small room where the person in that room has been there for 12 years with no hope of ever leaving realistically. Because when we are weak, what can we do when we are weak? There's only one thing we can do. We can turn to the ultimate source of strength, Jesus. And Jesus gives us his strength unconditionally in an unlimited fashion. He shares who He is and what He is and what He has done with each and every one of us. He reminds us that we are forgiven. He reminds us that we are forever. He reminds us that the things in this life are only temporary. Our destiny is an eternal healing. And in our weakness, we are strong. When we are weak, when things don't go our way, when God says no to us, there's also a yes. Because there is a forever There is forgiveness, and there is Him. He is there giving us the strength that we need always in our weakness. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, through our weakness, through our need, may we show the world that we rely on Jesus Christ. In His name, for His sake. Amen.